our prophetic history. I guess Danny being drunk isn't history, it's was and is and is to come. Green Sunfire, 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 is that the name of a car now? Sunfire? S-U-N. Um, your battery said. This said your lights were on, but that was a long time ago, so message has changed. That was the proceeding, preceding word of God. The proceeding word of God, your battery's dead. So, if you had a green sunfire, you need a tow truck. So, well, I think you guys are having a good time out there. Good night. You can overdose on the Holy Ghost, but what a way to die, huh? <laughs> Overdose on the Holy Ghost. I remember years ago we were in the prayer room late one night and, and uh, a bunch of people were praying and, and someone, and Danny was laying on the floor on his face. I, I think in those days you were actually praying for God to actually touch you. And somebody fell on his head. <laughs> remember that? Did it break your nose? Broke your nose, huh? You got a good look at it though, didn't you? <laughs> that's our prophetic part of our prophetic <laughs> that's our prophetic history too yep uh, there's lots of prophetic stories that we have we should do like Mike Bickle and do a prophetic history we should do like four or five sessions just tell people where we came from <laughs> And then just see if there's anyone left. <laughs> it would be interesting if people knew our history, if they'd actually come back. <laughs> We're from Weaverville. Just say that over and over. Weaverville. That's right. <laughs> I mean, Nazareth looks like a big city. Where we're from. That's right. It all started right there. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. Well, we... Um, we just came back from the coast last night. In fact, we got to the top of Buckhorn at 8 o'clock and they closed the, they closed the uh, road because a bunch of flatlanders were trying to drive over a mountain in the snow. And, <laughs> and we stayed there until, I don't know, was it like 12.15 or something? Yeah, three and a half, four hours we were up there and finally drove back to Weaverville and stayed in a hotel till this morning. So... Anyway, but we had a good time on the coast. God's doing uh, a great thing over there on the coast. And we've had a lot of prophetic words about a Jesus movement starting right on the water's edge, right on the coast. And, and uh, we just saw really powerful things happening and people getting divinely touched. And so, oh, it's good. Well, let's pray and see what we're going to do tonight. <laughs> the, the message I have and the drinking you're doing, they don't seem to... <laughs> Sitting there thinking, well, one good thing is just like, you know, if you're drunk, anything looks pretty. So, <laughs> might be one of my best messages. 
Holy Spirit. I don't want to say Holy Spirit come because I know what that's going to do. <laughs> Pray for spirit of revelation. Yeah. Yep. We're still writing our history. That's what makes me nervous. It's like, it's not over, you know. Winston Churchill said, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. <laughs> I feel like we're still doing that right now. So Holy Spirit, let this history be really kind tonight. We just pray for people who, who can't think, Lord. We just pray that you would help them. And Lord, we pray for people who think too deep. There's, there's people who just think too deep. You know what I'm saying? Just OCD, just think too deep. Lord, we just pray for those people that you would just make them shallow. <laughs> More shallow. Happier, happier people. And um, thank you, Lord. And then we pray for people like us who are balanced thinkers. <laughs> you would help us too. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> How many of you guys were visitors tonight? <laughs> Where the heck's the rest of our people? <laughs> I guess a bunch of them are at Twinview, huh? Um. <laughs> I don't know what people would think if they came here for the very first time like they'd never been to church and they walk in here like people are fun but they're crazy I always kind of wonder how this plays out on iBethel TV because like, <laughs> some of the stuff you just have to be there you know what I mean so um, well we're just in a, such a pivotal time in history, you, you, you know that? It's just a, it's a great time to be alive, and it beats being dead. <laughs> now, for those of you that are deep, don't, don't think through that. <laughs> it's just supposed to be funny. I put stuff on Facebook, too, uh. I make jokes on there and I get like 67 comments about the theology of what I just said. I'm like, oh, can you please stop? You're making my hemorrhoids hurt. It's just... That's part of our prophetic history. That's in the Bible, you know. The Philistines got the ark and those at the same time. I can't help that. Anyway. <laughs> I don't like when cameras show me. Um. have something to say. I just don't know if you're ready to hear it, actually. Did I tell you we're living in really <laughs> pivotal times that I say that much? 
Ja. This is a good offering you took. Turn to Matthew 5:43 and let's see if it, this is helpful at all. Matthew 5.43, Jesus said, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be your sons, you may be, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you only greet your brothers, what more do you do than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And um, tonight I just was, wanted to talk a little bit about love. And, and love looks like something. And uh, Jesus made this statement, and I've taught on this many times. Maybe we'll take it a little bit different place tonight. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemies. Where did they hear You've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemies. They heard, it, they heard that for thousands of years in the Old Covenant. Remember, God was the one who told the children of Israel, go into the promised land and kill everyone. Don't let anyone live. It was King Saul who lost his kingship because he let an enemy king live. And the Samuel came into the camp where King Agag was left alive. And he said to Saul, why did you let the king live? And Saul and Samuel cut Saul to pieces with a sword. And Samuel was the good guy in the movie. And Saul was the bad guy for showing mercy. Huh? No, he didn't cut Saul. He cut Agag, the king. Yeah. The, yes. The point is, the guy who showed mercy was the bad guy. And the guy who showed judgment was the good guy. That's the old covenant. That's the covenant that we came out of. And so when Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, that was the love that you had for God in the old covenant was measured by the hatred that you had for the enemies of God. So David, the, many of the stories we celebrate are about people killing people who didn't like God. How about David and Goliath? Goliath wasn't just a big guy. He was a guy who didn't love God. And David took out the giant who didn't love God. And we celebrate that as a great sign of victory that somebody who didn't love God was killed. He was considered an enemy of God. Are you following me at all? So when Jesus said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, you've heard it said, that was the old covenant. But he said, but I, I say to you, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, you'll be like your Father in heaven who makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you understand that? Make it rain on the righteous and unrighteous. In the Old Covenant, the law said, listen, if you do all these good things, if you serve God, you keep His statutes, you keep His commandments, then there'll be rain on your crops, and He goes on to list all the blessings that will happen if you keep these commandments. But if you do not keep these rules, these commandments... Then, you, then there will be no rain, you will have famine, and he goes on to list all the curses 
of the law. Are you with me? He says, now, that's why Elijah, that gave Elijah the permission to stop the rain. Why, did he, why was he able to stop the rain and cause a famine for three and a half years that got so bad that people turned to cannibalism in Israel? Because the law said, if you don't do these things, if you serve other gods, if you turn your heart away from, from uh, Jehovah, then there shall be no rain. And Elijah was able to take that law and prophesy it over the people and stop the rain for three and a half years. Now Jesus said, You've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You'll be like your Father in heaven who makes it rain on the righteous and what? The unrighteous. Do you understand that we have a covenant change here? Because in the old covenant, God specifically did not let it rain on the unrighteous. In the new covenant, God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, the difference between the old and new covenant is God actually, re, actually gives mercy to people who don't deserve it. That's why we're in a new covenant, and that's why we take communion week after week, or month after month, because we're supposed to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that we live on this side of the cross, <laughs> so we don't act like we live on this side of the cross. Years ago, I had a youth group. I worked with the probation department, and um, we had about 35, 40 kids, juveniles, who were all on probation. And they said, listen, we're going to, uh, we're going to meet with their parents, the parents of these probation kids, and we're going to do some parenting lessons for them for 12 weeks. Could you meet with these kids for 12 weeks and do something with them? Just, you know, kind of keep them busy while, we're, while we have their parents. So we started out doing a youth group with them, and we played basketball and volleyball in this old, old gym. It leaked like a sieve. It was just this big old metal building, the concrete floor, and it was freezing in there in the, in the wintertime, and it was, it was hot in there in the summertime. And uh, I started out just agreeing to do 12 weeks with them, and I ended up with them f- for five years two days a week for five years, three hours a day. And uh, it turned into a really powerful time, and I, I really had made a great connection. I actually won two community awards from this little community, of about 900 people in, way up in the mountains. And um, this was kind of the, this was the most troubled area in our communities where most of the drugs were sold, and was where most of violence happened in this little community. So I, anyway, these kids, these, these started out 35, 40 kids, they became... I became a father to them. It was kind of interesting because one of the things I learned over being there for several years is that not one of my kids, and that group grew to about 110 kids for five years, so lots of kids rotated through that group over the years. And my oldest son, we adopted our oldest son through that youth group. Not one of my kids had a father. I'm not saying that that that's true of every kid who's in trouble. I'm just telling you that in five years, I never had a kid that had a father at home. So um, anyway, I got to be a father to a lot of those kids, and obviously they were really troubled. You can imagine most of them came out of drug homes. Many of them were on drugs. Um, we, had a, we had a no weapons rule in our gym, and we also had a um, no, couldn't sell drugs in the gym, and you couldn't bring weapons in the gym. And it was kind of cool because for the first 12 weeks, they were ordered by the court to come to my youth group. In other words, if they didn't come to youth group, they went to, they went to jail. They went to juvenile hall. So that was kind of, I had a captive audience. 
I had 12 weeks to build a bond with those kids, and after the 12 weeks, the court um, you know, released them from that order, and the only reason they would come to youth group is if they wanted to, but the only reason I came back is if I wanted to. So we kind of made this agreement. I'll come back if you don't sell drugs in the gym, if you don't bring, if you don't bring weapons to the gym. And it was, it's, that's kind of a long story. But, and I, so I, there, you, know, you can imagine, most, most, nights it was, uh, most nights it was me, maybe one of my family members would come, sometimes a couple of my family members would come, and 100 to 110 kids, and these weren't normal youth group kids. These were unsaved, crazy, you know, fist fights and all kinds of stuff. And as the years went on, the, the older kids began to police themselves and, and help me actually lead their group. But every once in a while, um, somebody would get, I would share a testimony at church, or I would share, uh, you know, some of what was going on with some of my friends, some of my Christian friends, and they would come down to help me. They come down and get excited about helping me. How many know that some things sound a lot more fun when you tell the testimony, you share the testimony, than when you actually walk them out? And so I would have some of my friends not in, uh, come and help me. Um, and some of my friends couldn't get over the fact that my, many of my kids used the F word. Now, I don't approve of them using the F word, so please don't misunderstand me. But they would use the F word, and some of my friends... They, they, they thought that my, my kids were lost because they used the F word. They didn't understand that they used the F word because they were lost. I don't know if you got the difference. My, a bunch of my friends thought that because they used the F word, they were lost. And so their, their job was to try to change their behavior. And they would get down there for a few weeks and they would work on trying to change their behavior. And I'd try to explain to them over and over, like their behavior is a manifestation that they don't know God. <laughs> their behavior isn't the problem, it's the symptom. Listen, it's not, they're not lost because they use the F word. They use the F word because they're lost. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Uh, there, there's, there's something about... Christianity, uh, uh, sometimes in Christianity, where we want the symptom to be gone, but we don't really understand what the problem is. And so it's real easy to make judgments about people's behavior and then try to scare them into a different behavior and not realize that the only reason they're acting like that, the only reason they're sinning is because they're sinners. It's, this is maybe deep, but sinners sin. <laughs> they're not lost because they sin. They sin because they're lost. I don't know if you're getting this. This is very simple, but Jesus had lots of problems with people who tried to change people from the outside in. And the, and the uh, only judgments that he ever proclaimed against specific people were against people who acted righteously on the outside, but inside they were still screwed up. And, and I think there is something about this whole, you know, this, we're, we're in this season where every time there's a disaster, it troubles me. I, I put it on my Facebook. It really stirs people up. I, I think I enjoy it, actually. 
I don't know if it's the need for attention or if it's just what it is that's still in my life, but I'm not sure it's healthy, but I could just gauge it like within 24 hours of any major national disaster, prophecies come out about this, and they're all like, well, 15 years ago we prophesied, 35 years ago, you know, I, I, I wrote uh, yesterday, if, if your clock is stopped, it'll still be right twice a day. I mean, if you keep prophesying the same thing at one point or two points in history, you'll be right. And then it validates that you got the two right because you delete the other prophecies from your Facebook and your website. We have been through this so many times that you would think, you know, you know the, the ex, you know the definition of stupidity? Doing the same thing the same way and thinking you're going to have a different outcome. I mean, we went, went through this with Y2K. I mean, the days, some of you maybe don't remember this or maybe you, you didn't know the Lord in those days, but I mean, we went through this terrible stress through the, the days leading up to Y2K because many, even in our own tribe, were trying to get us to store food and become a, a refuge center for all the people and, you know, get generators and... <laughs> It's, it's kind of funny, I won't tell you who, but we went to Weaverville. I, I took a guest to Weaverville, and he preached on why Y2K is going to be worse than you think. And this was like a month before. Now you have to understand Weaverville. Listen, you don't move there unless you're called by God or mentally unstable. <laughs> Bill was one, and I was the other. And I mean, I mean, Trinity County, people that live in Trinity County, they, they're all survivalists. They have guns and generators, and they had that prophetic word way before anyone on the internet got it. <laughs> so, I mean, this guy sold every, every CD. It was, he didn't have CDs. It was, I think it was tapes in those days. Every tape, every book. I mean, the guy took orders. It was amazing. And, you know, and he's like, wow, we're driving back. And he's like... Those people really received me. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they had that revelation way before you shared it. That's why they moved there. They all live in fear. And they all store food and they all have guns. And, 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 and I think that, I think it's, it's kind of, you know, at some point, we have to realize like, okay, Y2K, you got that wrong. Okay, you got it wrong. Let's just say, I, I, know, I know the reason why you got it wrong is because people prayed and changed your prophecy. But these are the prophecies you've had many times. So either you have very good prayers or your prophecies just suck. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I'm concerned because we don't, we're, not lo- we're not learning from history. And so I, I just, you know, I put a little bit of that on my Facebook and I had several people comment like, you're, um, you're judging the prophets. And like, no, I'm not judging the prophets. I'm doing what 1 Corinthians 14 says. Let's let two or three people, let two or three prophets prophesy and let the others pass judgment. I don't pass judgment on prophets. We pass judgment on prophecies. I personally struggle with the fact that people with the internet, 
you know, there, there's like, like the walls torn down, the gates torn down, there's, there's no accountability, and people just put whatever they want out on the internet, and, and, and you know, on all my Weaverville friends, they run for cover, and they load their guns, and they, they bring out their storage, their food storage, and they're like all excited for several months till they realize that those guys did it again, you know? And, and so I think that I, it's like, it's not wrong, listen, it's not wrong to take a prophecy and say, I don't agree with that. As a matter of fact, that's the Bible. So we're not supposed to judge people. See, in the Old Testament, we judge people and nations. In the New Testament, we judge prophecy. And so it doesn't mean, someone wrote me and said, uh, which false prophets are you talking about? I'm not talking about any false prophet. I never said anybody was a false prophet because they got a bad word. I'm not saying anyone's a false prophet. I'm just saying, listen, real prophets are still supposed to have their words judged. So if, if you're, if you're going to put them out then publicly, if you're not going to get private judgment, if you're going to put the word out there publicly, then you're going to get public judgment of the prophetic words. Which in my mind is right to say, I don't agree with that word. And, th- and that doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't respect you. It doesn't mean I don't think you're amazing. It just means your prophetic word. I don't agree with your prophetic word. And I think that that's part of the prophetic culture that we're developing globally, that it's okay to say, hey, uh, Mr. Jones, I love Mr. Jones. Someone wrote me and said, are you talking about so-and-so? Because I think so-and-so is amazing. And I said, I think so-and-so is amazing too. It doesn't mean I like their word. I think there needs to be some sort of separation between, hey, what you just did, I don't think is okay, but you're amazing. And there has to be, listen, I don't know how how to develop a prophetic culture if you can't separate the prophetic word. Listen, if if it's your word, then I guess you should take it personal. If you said you thought it was from God, then I don't know why you'd take it personal if people said, I don't think that's the word of the Lord. Unless you dreamed it up. But I am concerned because I think that a lot of prophetic uh, ministry, well, let me just say, ministry in general comes from your core values, the way you see the world. In other words, you don't tend to see the world the way it is, you tend to see the world the way you are. And so you tend to, you tend to make the same mistakes because you have the same core values until the way that you see, I think Bill said it, I think this morning, Repentance means to change the way you think. Well, as long as you think the same way, you may have different thoughts, but they all have the same core root. And until you, ch- inst- until you change the core way that you think, then you're going to have those same kind of, you're going to still come to those same kind of conclusions. So when you see something bad happen, you're like, well, that's the Lord, he's mad. And as long as that's your core value, bad things happen because God is mad then it doesn't matter what the incident is, that's how you're going to process. And so I'm, I'm, concerned, um, I'm concerned about lots of things. I'm concerned that, that globally, that we have these amazing prophets and prophetesses who I deeply respect. And I should, be, I should tell you that I have missed many prophecies. I've got them wrong many times. So I, I want to just be really clear, like, I've got them wrong many times. And I have a great accountability team, and we've processed them. Many times, and I, and I know that all of my uh, team here w- would tell you that when I give a, a word, I say, this is the word, I think it's the Lord, you guys process it. And once I share it, it's theirs. It's, it's, I have to let it go. I mean, one way to make sure that you manipulate people is to make that word your duty to get it to accomplish it. 
That, I mean, the word of the Lord, is the, it's the word of the Lord. It's the Lord's word. He's the one that either accomplishes it or does. If you, have to, if you have to make the word happen, I question whether it's the Lord. And so I think there is something about developing a culture where people can make judgments, not about you, about the word, and not have that reflect your relationship with them or their relationship with God. I am not saying that people who give words that I don't agree with I don't, I'm not saying they don't have a better relationship with God than I, I have, or that I dislike them. I'm simply saying that that right there, I, I, I don't think is right. And I have some, some, just some simple things that I'd like to share about that. I, I think that there's, um, I think there's an old, I think there's an Old Testament, Old Covenant attitude that lies in a lot of believers. And I have to say that this may not be true, but it feels true, and maybe it's just because of the people I hang around with, but it, tends to see, it seems like it's more prevalent among prophetic people. It may be, in, and I've thought a lot about this because I, I do a prophetic school, a school for prophets every year, it may be that we don't have very many models for actual prophets in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, and so we're taking, and there's lots of prophets in the Old Covenant, so it's possible that we're just, our role models are mostly Old Covenant role models, and so we don't know any different. I, I, I'm not sure why, but we, 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 have, we have this idea that it's our job to tell people what they're doing wrong and that they deserve to be punished. Now, you can pick that up really easily if you, look, if you follow the Old Testament prophets because that was their job. And, but we're not in the Old Covenant, we're in the New Covenant. We take communion month after month, some people week after week, some people, I think Bill takes communion mostly every day. It's a reminder that we live on the other side of the cross, and I think that some of the prophets just need to start taking communion every day. As a sign, you know, they're misjudging the body. Some are sick, some are weak, and some are even dying. And it's really important that we start living on the right side of the cross. Now, um, there, there's a, a couple of, uh, I think, misconceptions as far as... Um, Jesus um, said this, Isaiah 61, there, the old uh, tradition said that the Messiah will come into the temple, he will proclaim Isaiah 61, which will be his... His, his model, his, his commissioning um, uh, declaration, if you will, and he will sit in the seat that's been saved for the Messiah that no one has ever sat in. So Jesus, one day, he's in the temple, he, they, they hand him the scroll, and he reads Isaiah 61, which is, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak release to captives, freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord, and the rest of that is Isaiah 61 verse before a period is the day of vengeance of our God. But when Jesus sits in the seat, here's what he reads. Luke, it's in Luke 4.18. He leaves out, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, period. He leaves out the rest of the verse. I'm not saying he leaves out the next verses. He leaves out the day of vengeance of our God. And he ends, you know, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to speak the good news, uh, claim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord, and he puts a period where Isaiah has a comma. He doesn't finish the day of vengeance of our God. 
And then he sits in the seat. Why? Because John 3.16, that we all know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And what does the next verse say? For God did not send in his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Isn't that funny? Jesus wasn't sent in the world to judge the world, so why are you? He didn't finish the day of vengeance of our God because that was for another epic season. And I want to tell you that there is a difference between the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Even upon your bond servants and I, in those days will I pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And it goes on to say, the sun will turn dark. The moon will turn to blood before the great and what? No, glorious day of the Lord. The great and glorious day of the Lord. Malachi says the great and terrible. You don't live in great and terrible. You live in great and glorious. And then the next verse says, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all in, I'm going to pour out my spirit on some flesh. No, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's why it's great and glorious. When am I going to do that? When the sun turns dark and the moon turns to blood. When did the sun turn dark? When Jesus died on the cross, remember this? The sun turned dark, and what happened to the moon? Jesus is, you're saying Jesus is the moon. Yes, Jesus is the reflection of the sun. When the sun turned dark, the moon turned to blood. And that began the great and glorious days of the Lord. Are you with me? You don't live in the last day. You live in the last days. The day of vengeance belongs in the last day, but you don't live in that day. You live in great and you live in great and glorious. You don't live in great and terrible. Okay, let me just give you a few examples. How about um, if you go to uh, well, Malachi four five is where it says, "Behold, I'm sending you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord." How many know it's great for people who know God and terrible for people who don't? Maybe we should just preach one day the day of judgment just so people know we believe that there is a judgment day coming. But you won't be the judge. God will be. Sorry, wrecked your ministry to find a new one. <laughs> Let me give you a few verses just so you know that I'm telling you the truth. Acts 17.30 Therefore, having looked, overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent because He has fixed a day a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Did you get that? He is, he's talking about, a, a, do you notice? Because he has fixed a day. In other words, he's saying everyone should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will, do you notice it's a day that's coming? Okay. Uh, how about John twelve forty seven? If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. Everybody say, I did not come to judge the world. But to save the world, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Are you with me? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. For by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The day of judgment. Did you notice it's a day coming, 
not a day you're in. How about Jude chapter, um, Jude 6? There is no chapters. Angels who did not keep their proper dominion but abandoned their proper abode, he's kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 1 John 4, 17. By this love is perfected so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. You with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but, uh, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time or the day, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and each man's praise will come to him from God. Um, it goes on like that. There's nine times in the New Testament alone that talks about a day of judgment. So let me just say this. That there are two seasons. Remember the Pharisees, one of the reasons why the Pharisees missed Jesus is because they took the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord and they made them one coming. So that's why every time Jesus went towards Jerusalem, what did they do? They put down palm branches and tried to get him to become king. Why? Because they didn't realize that there was two epic seasons. There was the first coming and then there would be, we don't know how many years, and then he would return. But the Pharisees made the two comings, one coming, and they missed the Christ who was standing in front of them. Are you following me? I'm concerned that we've got the last days and the last day confused. There's a last day, and that's a day of judgment. And God, and judgment, by the way, is in the Bible, is, that, is not necessarily negative. You know, judgment, when you... When, you, you, when you're at the Miss America contest and the judges are judging, how many of you know they're not judging to find something wrong with you, they're judging to find something right with you? So here Paul says that there's a day of judgment coming, and he says when God judges, each man's praise will come to him from God. So he's talking about a good judgment when God will judge you, and you'll be excited about the day of judgment. But people who have refused God's kindness over and over and over will have a different kind of judgment. But God will be the judge. So we live in the last days. And the last days, we know at least started Acts 2.17. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. What is God doing right now? God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. What's the next verse? And God was in Christ. What was he doing? reconciling the world to himself. And how did he do it? Not counting their trespasses against them. What does the next verse say? And we have been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation, as if God was begging through us, be reconciled to God. What is our ministry? Reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Not counting their trespasses against them. This is the ministry that we have. What would happen if you took an Old Testament prophet... And you moved him into the New Testament. Because remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, is there still prophets in the New Testament? Yes, because I, uh, Hebrew, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4 said he, came, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets. Okay, so there's still prophets in the New Testament. So in which way did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? I propose to you he fulfilled the prophets in, in this way. He fulfilled their role and gave them a new role. That's why the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, who was John the Baptist, remember the least in the kingdom is greater than him? 
And John, instead of being crucified, which was the way of execution in that day, that's why Jesus was crucified even with thieves, he lost his head. I believe he lost his head as a prophetic sign that that way of thinking was over because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So there's a new way of thinking for the prophets. What would happen if you took an Old Testament prophet and you moved him into a new covenant? In other words, if you were able to translate him onto the other side of the cross. Well, we have that in Malachi 4, don't we? In the last days, I'll send you who? Elijah the prophet. Now remember, he was an Old Testament prophet. In the Old Testament, what did he do? He stopped rain, right? Killed old te- he, he killed false prophets, called down fire. You get the idea. What happens when you move him into the new covenant? It says, in the last days I'll send you Elijah the prophet. And what will he do? He'll restore the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because the New Testament ministry of a prophet is what? The ministry of a reconciliation. So what happens when you move Elijah out of the old covenant and you move him into the new? He has a new role. His role is no longer to destroy and judge countries. His role is to reconcile families. This is the ministry we have. It's the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have the ministry of judgment. Well, you know, God's going to judge the world. That, you said it. God is going to. It isn't going to be you, and you don't live in the time of judgment. You live in the time of reconciliation. Listen, you have to be congruent with the time. The sons of Issachar understood the times. Key. They understood the times. And they understood what Israel should do in the times. Until you understand the times, you don't know what to do. I'm concerned that we've brought the day of judgment into the days of outpouring. I'm concerned that we pulled an epic season into this epic season, and then we took on the role of the Old Testament prophet to try to fulfill something that God said, listen, there's a day of judgment coming, but I'll be the judge. Okay, your job is reconciliation. Listen, that's why there's a comma there's a comma in the, you know, the, the favorable year of the Lord, comma, day of vengeance of our God, but Jesus puts a period after it when he proclaims it because he did not come to proclaim vengeance. He, proclaim, he came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and there are at least 2,000 years between that comma and that period. Don't pull the day of vengeance into the favorable year of the Lord. They don't belong together. That's why Jesus finished there. You should too. Are you with me? I have the confession to make. These dirty, rotten sinners who are promoting pornography and selling drugs aborting their babies they're friends of mine and I'm trying to keep my unsaved friends from my saved friends because my saved friends think that their behavior is the problem (laughs) to me it feels like the years of the gym again and I'm trying to keep my unsaved friends my homosexual friends my friends that are stuck in pornography, all my, my new age friends, all, all my Buddhist friends, my Muslim friends, I'm trying to keep them from knowing my friends who are prophets. Yeah. 
Because my friends who are prophets are trying to teach them love through judgment. It's a bummer to have to separate them from someone who's so gifted. Somebody you know, wrote me and they said, well, Jesus proclaimed judgment over three cities. Well, I have two things to say about that. One, it's Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't need mercy. His, his, his discernment's 100%. And not only that, but he said, if the miracles that were done in these cities, in these other cities... In Sodom, if they were done in the miracles that were done in you, in, in your cities, were done in Sodom, they would have repented. What's the point? He showed them contrast. He did miracles, signs, and wonders in the cities that he proclaimed judgment against. He showed them the difference between light and darkness. We don't and wonder why they don't get it. Did, I don't know if you got what I'm saying. They saw what it looked like for the kingdom to come, and they didn't receive it. Most of our cities have heard our words. They've not seen any power. Jesus said, you're the salt. You're the salt of the world. If the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything but be tossed out and being trampled under men's feet. What is he saying? Well, you understand that they didn't have refrigerators, so they would salt their, their meat, their fish, to preserve it. Well, you can imagine how much salt that would take if you didn't have a refrigerator and you were using salt as a preservative, not just for flavor, but you're using, you can imagine probably you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of salt you would use. And so they would, of course, reuse the salt, and they would taste it to see if it was still salty. And when the salt tasted like fish, instead of like salt, are you following me? They know that the salt is saturated, and it will no longer preserve. So then what they do is they would take it, and they throw it out on their roads, and then when it would rain, and, and, and then get dry, it would, it would make their pavement. That's how they made pavement. So that's why he says it's trampled under men's feet. In other words, they salted their roads. How do you tell when salt, he said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, and you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Your revelation and your preservation. How do you tell when the salt loses its flavor? When it starts to taste like the thing it's supposed to be preserving. How many of you know when you're judging the thing you're supposed to be preserving that you've pretty well lost your flavor? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What does it mean to light? Does it mean you don't, hey, I don't need PG&E. I'm the light of the world. No, it's a metaphor. What's it a metaphor of? It's a metaphor that you give people, listen, you, in, you tell people what God thinks about them. You tell people who don't know God, you're the light, you're revelation. You say, this is what God thinks about you. You're the light of the world. 
and salt, your preservation, you preserve people who don't deserve it. Remember when Lot and Lot's wife left Sodom and she looked back? Lot's wife, what did she turn into? Pillar of salt. Why? Because she was preserving that city. I don't think Lot's wife looked back because she was wicked. I think she looked back because she couldn't let go and God did. She, why didn't she didn't turn into dirt? Because David said, from dust we came, from dust we go. Because Lot and Lot's wife were the preservative of that city. They were what was keeping judgment from that city. You are salt. Your job isn't to judge the city. Your job is to preserve it. When you start judging the people you're supposed to be preserving, you've lost your flavor. <laughs> Yikes. It's just a thought. You know, whenever we apply the scriptures in a way that aren't redemptive, we've lost the meaning of the gospel. Let me say that, uh, try it differently. Whenever, whenever Jesus died to redeem mankind, whenever we apply the scripture in a way that's unredemptive, creates hopelessness or reduces a person, person's destiny to the history, we've missed the point of the gospel. How many know that whenever we destine someone to their history, instead of his history, we've missed the point of the gospel? So, think about this. If somebody's in my office, which has happened many times years ago when we used to do counseling, I used to do counseling, and someone, a couple's in my office and they want to get a divorce. How many of you understand that I'm going to talk to them about what Jesus said about divorce? He said, if you divorce, if, if someone, if you divorce your, your wife, listen, in the beginning, you know, the Pharisees said to him, Moses gave us a certificate of divorce. And he said, yes, but it wasn't like that from the beginning. But because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce. But in the beginning, God made them man and wife, and he said, let the two become one flesh. And so he said, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce because of your hardness of your heart. And he said, if you divorce your wife, you commit adultery. And the disciples said, who can receive this? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> you get where they're coming from. Like, disciples are like, you have to stay with her forever? That's a revelation. That's how bad it had gotten. Are you with me? So when I have a couple in my office and they're thinking about getting divorced, I talk to them about that. I talk to them about, hey, you made a covenant. It's forever. God can do anything. You know, nothing's impossible with God. He can turn your love back on. There, you know, any, any relationship can be reconciled. Are you following me? But how many of you understand that when I'm in the office with someone who's been divorced three times and they have a problem with their third marriage, I don't use that scripture on them. I don't, I don't say, well, you know, you committed adultery and that's why... And it, I can remember uh, many years ago with, sitting with a couple who had, they had both committed adultery with each other on their, hus on, on their husband and their wife, and they both had kids from that marriage, and their partners were both good partners, and they, they committed adultery on a missions trip, left their partners for good, married each other, divorced them. Six years later, they're in my office, and they not, they're not having a good marriage. 
Shock. Shock of shocks. I get it. Now, is it going to help them if I repeat the words of Jesus? What are they? Now, oh, oh, I didn't tell you this. They have two more kids together. And one of their ex-spouses is remarried. So what's the, what's the solution? Is the solution that I remind them that they committed adultery? Or now do I talk to them about the redemptive power of Jesus to forgive sin and the fact that when Jesus forgives, that he restores you and you can go on and live happily ever after. So now, am I talking to them now? On this, on this side of divorce, am I talking to them about, uh, about the words of Jesus' words, about, uh, words of, about divorce that Jesus spoke? Or am I talking to them about the redemptive work of, of, of the cross? And that the fact that they can go on and live happily ever after, even though they sin, because God has forgiven them, and not only that, but God wants to restore them. God wants to restore their their, their ex-spouses also. Are you with me? What I'm getting at, it's the right word in the right seasons, like apples of gold and settings of silver. I mean, when you have... <laughs> I don't know if, you, if this example is even working for you. But when, when you have an earthquake, it's not a great time to tell people how badly they screwed up. If my son doesn't realize that he sinned, then it's a good time to talk to him about, hey, you know, da da da. But if my son walks into my office and he's broken and he's and he sinned, I don't have to talk to him about his sin because he already knows that. Now he needs to know about the redemptive nature of God. The timing on, on prophetic declarations, even if they were right, is terrible. When people are they're lost, their their loved ones, thousands of them lost. I just can't even imagine what it's like for people to hear prophetic declarations made against their, them or their country when they haven't even found their loved ones. They're living in freezing weather and they're trying to figure out who cares about them and who loves them. It's just really poor timing. If, if, if your word was right, the timing's horrible. I mean, to talk to people about, hey, and if you think, listen, God's so mad about your sin, he decided to kill a bunch of you. Just to show you how much he loves you. Listen, God's so mad about abortion in America that America deserves to be judged. And God is going to kill a bunch of people to tell you how much he cares about babies and how bad he's, how mad he is about you killing babies. He's going to kill a bunch of people to prove to you that he's mad about you killing babies and you have no value for life. That is the spirit of stupid if I have ever heard it in my life. The morning after 9-11, if anyone remembers that morning, we were all in mourning. We wept for days as people, as we watched hundreds of times the towers fall over and over. Didn't you? Didn't we all? We were all, we had a TV, a screen in here. We, we prayed. We stopped what? And we stopped all of our meetings and we just prayed for days. As people looked for their loved ones and hoped that, there was be, that some of their loved ones would still be alive under that rubble. And the morning of 9, on 9-12, prophecies came out. This is God's judgment for abortion. Well, that's funny because a lot of the people who died in there were righteous. 
God's a bad, he's, he's, he's not a very good shot. I mean, even Abraham said to God, you don't kill the righteous and the wicked together, do you? Genesis 18, that's his point. God, you're a righteous judge. You don't judge righteous people and wicked alike. That's, called the, that's why it's called the great and terrible. God separates them. They have different judgments. If one righteous person dies in a disaster, you know it wasn't God. Because God doesn't judge righteous people and wicked people the same. I just don't know. Where, it's like we need compassion. It, you, know, you, know what, you know what grieves me the most? That it's an issue. It, what grieves me the most is that when I put on Facebook anything about judgment, 25% of the people that are fans of mine want to tell me why it's okay to judge other people. Like, they, they don't want to, I mean, it, it's grieving that it's an issue. Like, don't you think that the biggest issue over abortion, of course, babies are dying. I understand it. But the, one of the greatest issues is that it's an issue. The greatest issue about abortion is that, is that killing babies, that there's actually people think it's okay. Like, that's grieving. That it's an issue. I don't, I don't, I hope that you're following me. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this quickly. I'm just going to read down a list, which we won't talk about, but why judgmental words are usually wrong. I'll give you quick reasons. Number one, they represent God as an angry person who only has one response to sin and the problems of the world, and that is kill everybody. Number two, they presume, they assume, that disaster leads to repentance and revival. Why judgment words are wrong? Because they assume that disaster leads to revival. This isn't true, for example, in Azusa Street, revival began with prayer. The Jesus movement didn't begin with disaster, nor did the charismatic renewal. The Welsh revival had nothing to do with disaster. The Toronto-Brownsville revival didn't begin with disaster. And I'd like you to tell me, at 9-11, our churches, many churches filled up. Where are those people? I mean, you know, you, when you motivate people with fear, then you have to try to keep them there with fear. And sooner or later, they figure out that your words are wrong. By the way, there are lots of people who, in the Bible, received the disaster, and it just made them worse. I don't know how many people you've run into that have lost a baby uh, in an untimely manner, lost a spouse in an untimely manner. It didn't lead them to God. It led them away from God. A great example, Numbers 16 32, it was when the earth swallowed up Korah. Remember that? And the 41st verse, which is the next morning, the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses. They didn't repent because of the earthquake. They were mad at God. In Revelation 16.10, it talks about that there's uh, plagues on the earth 
And it says, and they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pain and sores and did not repent. What I'm getting at is this. Some people think, well, if I prophesy disaster, it leads to revival. No, not necessarily. Listen, trials only reveal what's in your heart. (laughs) Trials don't make you have a certain attitude. Trials just reveal them. I'm going to give you a couple more. Number three, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Bill did that already today. Prophesying disaster brings them on. That's Proverbs 18.21. And next one, judgmental words ignore the fact that we are salt and light. I already talked about that. That's Matthew 5.13. Number five, judgmental words agree with the accuser whose ministry is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you create judgmental words that steal, kill, or destroy, how many of you know that you've come into agreement with the wrong spirit? Number six, judgmental works works against the principles of restoration of ruined cities. How many know that God, Isaiah 61 verse 4 says that then they will return and rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastation and rebuild the ruined cities, desolations of many generations. And I can go on and on. There's scripture after scripture about God wanting to restore ruined cities. Why are you judging the cities we're supposed to restore? I can go on and on about that. I got several scriptures about that. Number um, six, number, number seven disappeared. So number eight, the world already sees us as the bringer of the law and not the lover of the world. The world already thinks we, we, love the, we love the rules more than we love them. The next one, um, well, I'd have to teach on that. False prophets promote words that instill fear. Fear is not from God, and perfect love casts out fear. You might want to read 1 John 4. 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. You know that that song and, that, and those verses are all about false prophets and how to not become one? The chapter begins with, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. For many false prophets have went out into the world. And then the whole chapter 4 is about how to judge between a right spirit and, a, and an antichrist spirit. And he, ends, he, he, he closes with these thoughts. He says, he said, anyone who does not love does not know God. And then he, said, then he tells you what love is. He says, perfect love casts out fear. For fear involves what? Punishment. And everyone who fears is not perfected in what? Love. But did you know the context is false prophets? The context is, hey, beloved, don't listen to the wrong spirit. How do you know if you're listening to the wrong spirit? Because your prophetic declarations will scare people. And you'll want to punish them. And if you want to punish them, you're not perfected in love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter on love? And it sits between chapter 12 and chapter 14, which are both on prophecy. In other words, love needs to be in the middle of your prophecy. It's the white stuff in your Oreo cookie. Are you with me? When you start prophesying things that scare people, you are not prophesying in love because love does not have punishment with it. And the context, read 1 John, go home and read it. The context is prophecy. He says, hey brothers... Don't listen to the wrong spirit. For many false prophets went out in the world. 
And he says, and then he finishes with these thoughts. Beloved, let us love one another. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. That's in the context of prophetic ministry. Okay. I want to just finish with this... um, statement. I I have eight core values for my end time view. I want to just read them to you. Number one, I will not embrace an end time worldview that re-empowers a disempowered devil. Jesus Jesus died on the cross to disempower the devil. I will not embrace an eschatology that re-empowers a devil. Jesus died to disempower. Number two, I will not accept any eschatology that takes away my children's future and creates mindsets that undermine the mentality of leaving a legacy. Even Jeremiah said, I know the plans he has for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Number three, I will not tolerate any theology that sabotages the clear command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations and the Lord's prayer that earth would be like heaven. Number four, I will not allow, I will not allow any interpretation of scripture that destroys hope for the nations and undermines our, our clear command to restore ruined cities. Number five, I will not embrace an eschatology that changes the nature of a good God. Number six, I refuse to embrace any mindset that celebrates bad news as a sign of the times and a necessary requirement for the return of Jesus. Number seven, I'm opposed to any doctrinal position that pushes the promises of God into a time zone that can't be obtained in my generation and therefore takes away any responsibility I have to believe God for them in my lifetime. And number eight, I don't believe that the last days are a time of judgment, nor do I believe that God gave the church the right to call for wrath for sinful cities. Therefore, a day of judgment in which therefore there is a day of judgment in which God will judge us, not God will judge the world, not us. We won't be the judge. That's my view. Let's stand. Okay, now we've got to walk the walk. That means we have to actually extend love to people that we actually said deserve love and mercy. How many of you understand that if we're going to judge people that have sinned, then you're going to be in that, you're in that fellowship. <laughs> Are you with me? You're in that fellowship. You're in, and how many of you understand that if you want to judge sin, then you better be careful because judgment will be merciless to him whom show no mercy. Can you imagine, what side, of this play, what side of this argument do you want to be on? What side of this theology do you want to be on? Do you want to get before God? Do you have, is there anything in you that says, do you have any fear that you're going to get before God and God's, God's going to say, you were way too merciful to people. You love them too much. Seriously, can you imagine standing before God and God saying, you taught that mercy stuff. 
You taught people to have mercy on people who didn't deserve it. You're in trouble. You, you, can, you, can you imagine, listen, if you're going to err, what side do you want to be on? Can you, can you imagine being on the side? I wouldn't want to be on the side where God said, listen, you judged people and I showed mercy to you. I don't want to be on the Matthew 18 side where God forgave me a million bucks and I'm running around telling everybody what they deserve. How many know that sinners act like sinners because they're sinners? They don't act like sinners because they, they act like sinners because they have a heart problem. Punishing people for their heart problem isn't fixing them. It's never going to fix them. Okay, so punishing Japan because, they, because they're Buddhists, that is not going to fix them. It's not going to lead them to Christ. It's not going to help them. I don't know if you know this, but the top 11 earthquakes in, in, in history since they've been keeping statistics, three of them have been in Alaska. Well, that's an evil place. Well, that's a wicked place right there, Alaska. Tell you what, they deserve them. You know, all 60,000 of the country of Alaska. I mean, come on, people. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together, love one another right now. You know, doesn't it bother you that the Beatles on dope knew more than the most of the Christians? All you need is love. I mean, it bothers me that people on drugs know more than some Christians. I'm not saying they had love, but at least they were looking for it. Not in the right places. So why don't you just grab a hand right now? If you're listening by iBethel TV and you don't agree with me, don't send me any more emails. My mailbox is full. You don't have to agree with me. It's all right. I still love you. It's awesome. Huh? You got mail. I got mail. Oh, no. Seriously. Huh? Yeah, don't send them to Bill either. I'm accountable to Bill, but Bill's email box is full of things I've said. Just disagree. It's all right. It's, it's okay. You don't have to be... You know what? You have a right to my opinion. <laughs> we are condemned to blessing. We're on the eve of construction. Well, man, you're just ignoring the problems of the world. No, I'm not. I just have a different approach to how to solve them. If I ignore the problems of the world, I wouldn't be involved in two orphanages and traveling the world and trying to help the poor. I mean, it's not, that's not called denial. So, all okay, right, we're going to pray right now. The first thing we're going to pray for is we're going to pray for Christians. We're going to pray for Christians. I mean, us too. We need help. You, you know, I just got to be honest. Like, I, I don't struggle with the negative prophecies too much anymore. Too much anymore. I don't. Maybe I've had them. I don't, I don't remember. I, 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 
I have a PhD in them, so <laughs> I, did them, I did that for years. I, I do struggle with negative attitudes towards people. So I want to make sure that you understand, like, this is stuff I struggle with. I just don't turn it into prophecy. So I, I, get, I get why we get frustrated with people. I get why we, you know, we want to see people change. I, I understand that. I, I totally understand it. Uh, all of us, I, I bet you there's not a single person in this room, maybe you haven't prophesied against people, but I bet you you've thought bad stuff about people. I certainly have. And we, we you know, that's, that's not loving people. And, and, I, and I tell you, I'm just confessed to you, like I struggle with it myself. I'm, I, I have learned the hard way when I say that, over years of prophesying bad stuff over people, that that does not help people. So I've learned not to take this frustration and turn it into prophecy. That part I've learned, but I haven't learned how to love people the way I should, and maybe you have, and, but we're just going to pray for us as a body that we would learn to love people because it's not about those people who are given bad prophetic words. It's about all of us. We, all, we need to learn how to love people. We need this love, this love that is incomprehensible. We need it. All of us need it. Not just those people that are doing those things. We need it. And so we're just going to pray right now. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the person on your left and right first that they would experience that love. And if you're at home watching I Bethel TV, we're just, just right now, just begin to pray for yourself and pray for your family that you would experience the love of God that's beyond comprehension, which means your head won't get it, but your heart can. Just pray that, just that and other stuff. Just pray it over your neighbor right now. Keep praying. When you get done praying everything that you know to pray, then I want you to pray in, in the Spirit. Okay? When, you, when, you get, when you're done with everything you can think to pray, I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to pray in tongues over the person on your left and right. The Spirit will pray things you don't know, what, you don't know to pray. Let's all pray together in the spirit for the, the body of Christ at large, the body of Christ globally. Come on, raise your voice and pray. Let's pray for Japan in the spirit. Let's pray for Japan in the spirit. Let's pray for things in the spirit that we would never pray with our understanding. Let's turn our heart towards Japan and just begin to pray over Japan in the spirit. Momo <laughs> 
Let's pray for the leaders. Let's pray for the leaders of Japan in the spirit. Let's pray for their leaders in the spirit right now. Just turn your attention towards the leaders, but pray in the spirit. Let's pray for the scientists in Japan to have breakthrough. Let's pray for the scientists in the spirit. Let's pray for the scientists that are trying to solve the nuclear issue right now. Come on, raise up your voices. Let's pray for the scientists. We need breakthrough. We need breakthrough in the area of science. Let's just break through right now. Let's pray violently against that stuff. Let's pray for the people of Japan now. Let's break the power of fear and torment and punishment over those people. Lord, we just lift up the people of Japan. Change the weather. Come on, let's pray for the weather to change. We pray for the rain to stop. We pray for the sun to come out. We pray for the weather to change right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for mercy on those people. We pray for the people who have lost families, that family members would begin to emerge from the rubble that hundreds and hundreds of family members who are deemed dead would be alive in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for good news to begin to emerge out of Japan. Lord, we pray for good news that the nuclear plants would turn around, that you would begin, that you would, that you would begin to cause those plants to work as they were designed in the name of Jesus. Lord, have mercy on the scientists. Lord, have mercy on the Japanese people. Lord, have mercy on the leaders of Japan. Lord, give them wisdom to lead their people through this hard time. Lord, give them compassion. Lord, give them understanding. Lord, we pray for the spirit of Solomon to be on those leaders in the name of Jesus, to know what to do. Lord, we pray for our country to show mercy. Lord, we pray for our president to know what to do. We pray for President Obama to know what to do in these situations in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just keep praying. Lord, we just give, we pray right now that you would give our country wisdom and understanding of how to help Japan in a way that's really helpful, that really brings transformation to their country. Lord, we pray for missionaries, that you would send thousands of missionaries to Japan. Missionaries that love God. Missionaries that love people. Lord, send prophets into the highest places of Japan. Prophets like Daniel who loved the king. Prophets like Joseph who understood the, the Pharaoh. Lord, send prophets of love. Send prophets of hope into this situation. 
in the name of Jesus. Lord, we break the power of curses. We break the power of cursing Christians. Lord, we break the power of cursing Christians. We break the curses off of these lands. We break the curse off of New Zealand. We break the curse off of Haiti. We break the curse off of Japan. We break the curse off of the U.S. Lord, we just release blessing. You said pray for those who persecute you. Love people who don't like you. Lord, we release love over these people. We release blessing over Japan. We release blessing over New Zealand. We release blessing over Haiti. God, may you make Christians an example of mercy and grace and hope and peace and power. Come on. Come on. Come on. I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I looked at him and I was ready to, my heart shall never be ashamed. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Come on. Let's give a shout over Japan right now. Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord of breakthrough. the love of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. We extend redemption and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Lord, give our leaders wisdom in these times. These are difficult times for our leaders. Uh, just been waking up praying for President Obama. Oh God, would you give him wisdom? Just give him wisdom. The problems we're having in countries, and God, just please give him wisdom and give our leaders wisdom. Whether they're Democrats, whether they're Republicans, whether they know you, they don't know you, oh God, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom, God. We pray for that right now. Wake them in the night. Like Pharaoh, give them dreams. Give them dreams about what to do. Lord, put Joseph's in there who can interpret dreams. Who understands and understands how to apply the dream in a way that's redemptive. Like Daniel, Lord, let us, let us find people who get into the inner courts of kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers who actually love the people they're working with. Lord, we just pray for that right now. Lord, we pray for our state. It's in such a, a place of, of need, God. We just pray for our own country. Oh, God, may you bless this country. Lord, we confess we don't deserve it. We don't deserve mercy. God, we ask that you'd give it to us anyway. We, we confess we deserve judgment. We've, we've sinned against, against you. We've sinned against your ways. God, we ask that you'd remember that you would remember your mercy, that you would remember your redemption. May you bleed over this nation. 
redeem this nation in its time of need. Thank you, Lord, for the generosity of this nation. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, God. I'm so convinced that our president needs our prayers. I understand there's reasons to to disagree and be critical. I, I, I have all those things and I struggle with myself, but just the Lord's just been waking me. The president needs your prayers. So we just we just read it. Just really need to just get in that mode. You wake up in the middle of the night for anything, just begin to pray for your president. Pray for Japan. Pray for leaders. Just, you just wake up for a few minutes. Just find yourself. Holy Spirit, just give my president. Just give him wisdom. Just give our senators understanding. City council person just wrote me yesterday. Just She said, I'm just grieving over things that are happening. I, can't, I, won't, I don't want to tell you where. But she just prayed for me. I just came out of a meeting just weeping. Council meeting in a major, major city in our nation she said they're just making decisions that are just selfish and then I just text her back and remind her this is why God put you there he put you there to be salt and light he put you there you're right there you're on time you're right in the right place just stay in there keep keep praying and be salt in that place greater is he that's in you than he that's in those selfish people she just wrote me back and said, you're a lifeline to me. And by the way, she's not a Republican. She's grieving over what's happening in our country. This is a bipartisan grief. I'm telling you, I'm not being funny. Just, just, we need God's help. We need God's help. Amen. Uh. <clears throat> We're going to shift gears in just a minute. Uh. You know, um, this scripture has been quoted so many times. It's actually our motto. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Behold, deep darkness covers the earth. This is our time to shine. It's not our time to complain. It's our time to shine. This really is. This is, this is our moment. Like, this is, this is, this is, we, we do best right here. This is where we do best. We were born to rescue. We were born to redeem. We were born to do the impossible. Man, when people need something impossible, that's when we shine. We've been training for it. Seriously. So we're going we're gonna to do a love tunnel here. Love tunnel. And um, we'll just kind of come up and get my team to come up. You know, what else we need to do? There's a lot of people here that you're probably here for uh, a healing in your body. Or, or maybe you need a miracle someplace your marriage or, or someplace. I, I'd like to have a team. I don't know who could lead a team. Um, maybe someone can help me. We have students next door? Yeah. Some students from the overflow room can come over too and help us. If I can have our leaders and staff and school ministry students and anyone who's ever wanted to be one. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding about that part. Just come up and make a tunnel. I think we'll make 
we'll make two tunnels. We'll just come up the middle and go through the sides. But I'd like to have a, a, a prayer team that can pray for the sick. Who do I have that can help me with that? Yeah, you want to take a team? Yeah. Steve, you want to put together a team? And, um, and can you guys stack those chairs right there? Yeah, that'll give us a place. If you're sick and you need uh, healing, Steve, raise your hand, Steve. Steve's going to be over there with a team of people who can pray for you for, specifically for healing or for a miracle in your body, in your life, whatever. And I'd like some of our uh, second-year students to go over there and help Steve with a, a healing miracle team. And we need two sides of this tunnel, guys. We need two sides of this tunnel. It's a, it's a tunnel. Yes, tunnel. Yeah, divine tunnel. So if you haven't been here before, you come up the middle right here, and you go out the sides. And um, we're just going gonna, gonna to bless you. Feel free to leave after your... You can leave right now. You can leave anytime. You can leave after you go through the tunnel. You can leave before. Thank you very much for coming. Those of you that are guests, you blessed us just by being here. Amen. You put on some love music. Love music. Put on some love music. Love tunnel. Staying with the theme. Love came down and rescued me. Or That's a good song.
Jesus, I am. 